G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career, right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. I have finally managed to drag him away from his rigorous training schedule alongside Daniel Bryan. Yes, I'm talking about Friday Night Smackdown's very own Drew Gulak. After the bell starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. And much like you, I am very tired of people challenging me on social media to do anything and everything. I've already partaken in the koala bear challenge, and that is it. That is where I draw the line. I will not be doing any stupid TikTok dances. Fortunately for you, if you need content, I've got it today. I asked for it. That's right. Not you. I did. I asked for it, and I finally got it. Finally. I think since like the first or second week of After the Bell, I have wanted to chat with this fellow for all of your listening pleasure. He's made a name for himself in the cruiserweight division in WWE and more recently began to uh, build a foundation to set Friday Night Smackdown on fire. My guest at this time, Mr. Drew Gulak. Mr. Gulak, how are you this wonderful day? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. Uh, How are you? I am fantastic. I finally got Drew Gulak on After the Bell, something I've been after since we started. Uh, But alas, I have lost complete control of my own show. So things (laughs) are beyond my power. But it is good to finally have you. It is nice to have an afternoon open because let's face it, you and I both have wide open schedules right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an unprecedented time in the world. It certainly is. How have you been keeping yourself occupied? Video games and training and eating. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's so, so more of the same you just have more time for it <laughs> this is true yeah there's just less plane rides in between that stuff right right I, I saw everybody at the performance center last week and the common theme that everybody passed my way was that I look rested and that could be because I've done nothing but sleep for the better part of the last three weeks oh man I can't believe yeah your schedule's yeah, usually crazy yeah it's so. kind of nice it's kind of unfamiliar territory but I'm enjoying it good so we've got lots of time to catch up. So uh, let's get to it. I like to start okay. with a little trip down memory lane. You're one of the guys, like so many in WWE, that we we all have contemporaries, common contemporaries. We've all come up along the same time. You were in Philadelphia. I was in Pittsburgh, roughly the same time frame. I think you you came around a little bit closer to the end of my tenure. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't until WWE that you and I really kind of became pals. Yeah, I think right when I really started getting to travel and getting out there, you had gotten scooped up. By FCW, so I just missed you. I wouldn't say missing. You're probably better off for it. But All right, cool. <laughs> I mean, you're, I see you in your golden years now. There you go. There you go. Back when I was just Sterling. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your journey to WWE. Where do we start? Do you want to start like at the beginning of my training, or do you want we'll to start, start wherever you feel apropos? Well, if you I, like had some crazy childhood <laughs> incident that drove you down this path, I would love to delve into it. Uh, otherwise, my parents weren't like big wrestling fans. So I discovered wrestling through a friend of theirs who invited us over to watch pay-per-views like WrestleMania and that kind of stuff. And then it was just something that I enjoyed and it was always on TV um, and they never really understood it. So it was just something to them. It was just something fun that I like to watch on TV. But in the back of my head, it was like, I'm going to go drop kick my brother in the backyard and that's not going <laughs> to hurt at all. And it really hurts a lot. So like I had the itch ever since I was little, but I never really knew I was going to pursue it until I discovered independent wrestling 
uh, in the early 2000s. That was after ECW had just folded. So being a Philly boy, it was always around, but I'd never gone out and seen it. And uh, I stumbled upon combat zone wrestling as like a teenager. And I saw guys like the Amazing Red and the SATs and the Backseat Boys and, uh, you know, Ruckus, like these these oh, legends yeah. of like, oh, yeah. yeah, these. The Jake the Snake of Wake and Bake. <laughs> oh my gosh, he had so many nicknames. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like I saw those guys up close in person. And like, if if you're listening and you've never been to an independent show, it's like the most intimate experience you can have um, if it's done right. And uh like that, that just drove me to be like, Hey, I could definitely do this. So I stuck around. Do you remember off the top of your head, the first independent show you went to as a fan? Yeah. So it was the one right before CZW's first best of the best tournament. Okay. And it was a CZW show. It was combat zone wrestling in Sewell, New Jersey at the champs arena, uh, which was an indoor soccer arena. The fans are rabid then. So like, this is before PWG was a thing, but they had the same kind of vibe where it's like the fans felt like they had ownership over the promotion. Like this was our place. Um, So it was a really special time uh, to just like kind of fall into that place. And the first show I went to was called, uh, what was it called? Take one, which was their very first like local TV taping on channel 48 in the area. And, uh, I remember seeing guys like Zandig for the first time and all I had to compare was, was this guy looks like triple H and Bret Hart combined, but now he's jumping off of platforms through tables and, uh, you know, cursing a lot, which was fun as a teenager. So yeah, it was just a whole different world that I opened up and I got sucked into it. I would go religiously and, um, it just turned into like, now I'm on the ring crew. And then, you know, I did that for a year and it's like, okay, now I'm at the school training and I did that for a year. And it's like, now I'm wrestling. It just, one thing led to another. And I just stuck with it and my love for it grew. And here we are. When, at what point did you decide in your independent career that this was something you were going to pursue as a job, as something that you were going to try to support yourself with? So I don't, I don't think there was ever one moment where I was like, Hey, I'm just going to go for it. I think from the beginning it was, I poured my heart into my training as much as possible. And like, I was, I was at our training school, uh, four, four nights out of the week. And then at shows all weekend long, like it was just, this is what I do now. And I did have part-time jobs along the way. And it was never something that's like, okay, I'm going to drop, you know what I'm doing. I was in school too, for a lot of that time. I went to college and um, I went to, I was in high school when I started training. So like school and then wrestling was normal to me. So like to really make a go of it, I, I think it was once I started traveling more, um, getting out to England, Les Thatcher brought me in for um, one Heartland? of their... Was it with Heartland Wrestling? This was... Ohio? This was just after Heartland Wrestling. He did a tournament called for the Wrestling Cares Association in California. Okay. And he, he had remembered me from a clinic that he had taught at uh, Combat Zone Wrestling in Philly. And um, he flew me out there. Uh, it was awesome. Um, and that was like one of my first times going to California. I met Dave Marquez there. Right around that time, I'd been touring in England a lot and uh, Germany. And... Uh, I think just through the connections, it just kind of grew. And like, as I was getting more competent as a performer, like my opportunities opened up and uh, you know, like that, it just, it just let one thing led to another. And would you credit the time you spent overseas with helping kind of develop the style that you have? Cause you got a really unique style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of like the British catch wrestling style is definitely, if, if you know what to look for, you see a lot of it in yours. Is that where, where that all came from? I'd say that the style, like me doing it didn't come from traveling over there. I'd say uh, right around that time, like it was late two thousands, England hadn't really, they didn't really have a style of their own at that point. 
That's a good point. Cause I actually was spending a lot of time over there. That was the, the time of one PW where it was basically, right. you know, every independent star and half of TNA at the time would right. all go over and do these shows. And that was why we drew so well, because there was nothing resembling good wrestling at the time. And I know a lot of the guys that are even in WWE now are proud of the, the, you know, 180, the wrestling business did over there. Yeah. It's, it's nuts, man. Like the last couple of years, that place is just kind of like grew and it's so cool to see that. Cause like now they're like, finding their heritage again and like their cultures it's it's just it's just come back and right. uh that's awesome but I, I think like right around that time when when we were touring touring over there it was uh they would the independent promotions would bring in the imports which were like us just because mm-hmm. we were foreigners and then we would be like a feature on their show right but i'll tell you what what really helped me grow competently in the ring was getting to do the camps for brian dixon which i got to do that through wxw they put me on a tour with guys like uh willie mack and uh, Shinichikawa of Big Japan and John Gresham, um, who's, who's over in Ring of Honor right now, as like a group of foreigners coming in together and getting to do these camp shows where it's like you wrestle once or twice a day. Or, like, talk right talk after, to me a little yeah. bit about this. I'm familiar with it because I, my, my younger brother has worked for Brian Dixon. He was so his, that's right. We always talk about this. So Sam, his first tour right after he had left uh, FCW. Um, it was FCW at the time, right? right I believe. Right. Okay. Yep. He had left FCW and the first thing he did was like get on a plane and go to England and like met me. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> that was like the very first thing he did. So he was fresh out of there and, uh, man, that just, just for the listeners, times, walk, walk me through your typical, let's say a week at, at, at uh, with Brian Dixon and all-star wrestling. I mean, so they had us staying at this place called the digs which uh, I don't know if it's still there right now. but I believe that's the same house that Sam stayed in, right? It's, it's a house yes. with multiple bedrooms for everybody. Yes. yes. So we were in that place and there must have been 13, uh, maybe 10 to 13 guys in that place at the time um, where it was just like, it was a, a three floor apartment um, and like every room had a bed in it, even though there weren't supposed to be beds in there. The one I stayed in had like three beds across and like, I don't know, just like it was a place that we would stay and there was a van that they would have there. And uh, it's basically like a wrestling hostel. It is a wrestling hostel. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's a hostel for wrestlers who work for this company. So a typical day would be like, you start off at the digs, you might go to Tesco's to get like your food for the day. And then you'll go and you'll drive out to like a camp. And then Which as soon as you get to wasn't the, necessarily close. No, these were, these are hours away. I mean, so comparatively England is about the size of Pennsylvania. Right. So like for us, a road trip is, is like eight to 12 hours. Like no problem. We got yep. that. Right. Once it gets over 12, it's like a little tougher, but eight to 12, no, no sweat there. It's like, you can only drive seven hours at most to get across the whole country. I think that's, that was like the longest road trip you could do there. So for me, that's like, okay, let's do it. But for them, it's like, Oh my God, two hours today. <laughs> uh, come on. And I'm like two hours. Really? That's like, that's not so bad. You, you would drive two hours, three hours, four hours to these camps, um, across the countryside. You'd get there, you check in, you, but then the camps, by the way, like it's not quite a campground and some of them were not quite amusement parks. Like those were the Butlins, uh, camps. They were right. kind of like, yeah, they were kind of like a small or very small Disney kind of thing, but you would get there, you'd go and you'd, help set the ring up. Then you do the show and then you might go to bed and then, uh, drive to the next town the next morning and just do it all over again. But, uh, yeah, about five, five to six nights out of the week, we'd be doing these shows, um, when the camps were on 
and just having the repetition. Uh, Chad Collier was on my tour there. Oh, Chad so, Collier to me, one of the best guys to never have a, like a major contract, man. He, he was, was always great. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Guy. I agree completely. Yeah. Chad's awesome. But I learned a lot just being around him, being in the ring with him. And just from the, you know, the local guys there, Tony Spitfire was the one who like kind of took me under his wing and, and drove me around. And, um, yeah, I'm forever grateful for like the experience that I had there with all-star wrestling. Right on. So you, she learned some new tricks and, uh, lived and breathed the business for a while over in the UK. Yeah. And now you come back stateside and you are well-equipped and well-armed <laughs> for the American independence once again. Yep. I remember like my first show back was a combat zone wrestling show. So the big thing with that British style over there, it wasn't necessarily the old world of sports style, which like I, I love. Um, and we touched on it, but I was introduced to that by hero, uh, Chris hero, like years ago at the, at the Chikara Russell factory. Cause they were like one of the first places that were really doing this out. Anyway, the difference between the, uh, old school British style and like what happened at the camps was like, it was all about working the crowds and like hyping the crowds up right. and, uh, like constantly. And, and like, that took me immediately out of my comfort zone. Cause I was more about like the little details and just hold for hold kind of stuff. But they're like, no, you need to show more color. That's what they would tell me. You need to show more color. It became more about like, you want to see it. You want to see it. And we call that like the Cowboys and Indian style back then. Yeah. Just coming back with that experience and that confidence, man, I, I couldn't wait to like get into the ECW arena and just start like doing that kind of stuff to the audience. And it was like, no problem. Was it, was it like a real revelation to you when you learned how important fan interaction is? Because I feel like it's a lot, of, it, it takes a lot of guys a long time to learn and understand. But when you have that aha moment of, oh, wait a minute, it's about entertaining these people that are paying to see us, not what cool moves I know. Right. It totally changes the game. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, if there's younger wrestlers listening right now who are just starting out, um, for me personally, it was like the first couple matches, I was like, okay, I just want to do the moves I did in training correctly. I don't want to get them wrong. I don't want to hurt anybody. And like, then I remember working in Maryland for one of the promotions down there and just hearing the crowd react to something that I did. And I was like, Oh, that's how this works. So then I chased that kind of interaction with them. And then like the more you pursue that, there's so many different ways to kind of like grow uh, through those interactions. And like, just, you can really blow up the details that you do in the ring and just kind of like take them along for the ride. And it just, that's man, that's the best. So it's like, that just unlocks like a whole another level of performing. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. So once you got comfortable and you're making waves of your own on the independent scene, what uh, what led you to the Cruiserweight Classic? Uh, so that, I think, I, I went back to England, did another tour. Um, and I got a random text message from Tommy dreamer, uh, while I was in England and he was like, Hey man, pass your number along to William Regal. So I'm like, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So he messaged me and asked if I was interested in doing a tryout for WWE. Um, I think 2015 is when I, I came down to do a tryout. I, I had a part-time job at the time. I was still doing independent shows all the time, lived in, in downtown Philadelphia. And, uh, my tryout featured myself, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, Shane Thorne, uh, Ember Moon. So like quite, quite a lot of, a lot of people that I know. So yeah. you came in for a performance center tryout first and then the, yes. okay. I think it was the first tryout that Matt Bloom was conducting on his own after he had taken over training duties at the performance center. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So that was my first time meeting him. And uh, yeah, we had the tryout. 
I got, oh, Oni Lorcan was at the tryout too, um, who was a close friend and a rival of mine throughout my years in the Indies. And um, so it was cool to like to get to do that with my friends and like kind of experience that whole thing together. Um, then, you know, a few weeks later, like I got the email that said like, sorry, we don't have anything for you right now. I know like um, people close to me, it took that a lot harder than I did, but I knew like just to keep pressing on. And like within a year, I continued working with Evolve, who was growing a relationship with WWE. And uh, I, I was learning there under Gabe Sapolsky, like the Cruiserweight Classic just kind of started to happen. It was called the Global Cruiserweight Series first. Yeah, I, I didn't have anything confirmed. My hopes were never up, but like I knew that like I, I was going to have like an opportunity match to kind of get into it against Tracy Williams. And then it worked out. And next thing I know, like my pictures like front and center on the CWC like advertisement, <laughs> which was crazy to me. It was right. like, you know, like you got all these international talents and you got like Philadelphia Drew Gulak right here, like a dead center. <laughs> so like, I, I don't know, like that, that, that kind of stuff was very surreal. But then it was just like, I just saw it as an opportunity. And like, I knew what I was doing in the ring was different than what most people were doing. And that's all I wanted to do is be like, look at this, just, just see it, just see it for a little bit. Even like when I, 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 I still do that to this day. So like, I, I knew that that would be like the best chance to kind of teach people about that kind of stuff. Well, I know it was your style that made me in particular a fan of yours. Thanks. Most, most recently was uh, when the Evolve cross-promotion WWE Network event happened. And you and Matt Riddle did the, the was it the Catchpoint style match? Or was it, there was a name, of, name for it? Catchpoint was the name of like a group of wrestlers and like the style that we were kind of championing at the time, which was kind of like, if you get an opportunity, you take it. Um, you don't worry about anything else. Like a lot of guys are worried. It, it really fits into the core of like everything I've done. You don't worry about, you don't worry about that fan interaction. Well, there still is the audience participation, but of you're course. not seeking the approval. You're seeking the long-term investment more than anything. Um, so, you know, if I have the opportunity to just climb up the ropes and do a moonsault, I'd rather just kind of take the guy down and work for a pin in that sense. And like, uh, there was a whole group of people that kind of got into this at the same time. So like that group in Evolve was myself, Matt Riddle, uh, Fred Yehi, um, and Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. And then um, we, we added just like a bunch of people to the group as it, as it grew. Like TJP was a, was a part of that group. And then like Chris Dickinson and Jocka joined it later. And then uh, we would feud with Timothy Thatcher, who was like the perfect foil for us to kind of like compete against. He does work here now, right? Finally. That's what I hear. That's the rumor that I've heard. I, I remember they they wanted him a couple of years ago when I was still at the performance center for uh, you know full time, and he was busy doing other things and enjoying his life. And uh, said, <laughs> so no. saying he's, what are you saying? He's not going to enjoy his life. No, now? no, no. I'm sure. <laughs> trust me, you can enjoy life a lot better when you have a paycheck. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. He is uh, an amazing, unique individual, Tim. He will find pleasure if he. Man, all right. So he he moved into his apartment. Um, recently and i was like man i can't wait for you to get like a television and he'd be perfectly happy just kind of like being in a room with like a deck of cards working out and then just staring at the wall and like maybe writing some stuff down he just recently got a smartphone and it's the entry-level smartphone all this whole time i've known him he's had a flip phone good for him yeah i've yet to meet him i to my knowledge i've never met him in person but i've watched his his stuff in the ring and i've cool. been a fan for a long time so i think he's a healthy addition to the nxt roster yeah, I can't wait to see him mix it up with some of the guys down there, man. It's uh it's gonna be cool to see to see what kind of an impact he makes. And I think I think the world of him. Um but yeah, he was like a 
like a perfectly timed rival of mine, like coming into the independence, like him and Oni Lorcan. I actually met Tim at that Les Thatcher Wrestling Cares Association tournament. So Les was the first person who was like, oh, we got to have these guys wrestle. Oh my God, dude. All right. So we each had, we had these, these robes um, okay. that we'd wear out to the ring. Mine was like a colonial uh, Minuteman kind of robe. Okay. And uh, Tim had the British one for some reason. So uh, we brought him with us to LA and we both warm out to the ring and Les used to call it the battle of bunker Hill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Funny story. Anyway. Uh, yeah. We had a submission match there and uh, it was like Iron Man rules. So it was like the most submissions scored within 10 minutes time. It was a really fun match. We hit it off. Tim came and stayed at my place maybe six months later. And uh, that was like kind of how he broke into evolve and started getting on the East coast more and, and getting to work with me. And he met only Lorcan through that tour to be on wrestling show. And like, that's just, that's how wrestling works, man. You just kind of like crazy. The amount of, of floors that we've slept on at each other's places over the years. It's, it's insane. That's yeah. how all these bonds are formed, you know, riding in cars and sleeping on floors. It's true. It's true. I hope a lot of the, So again, I hope a lot of the younger wrestlers like really take notice of that. And like, they're not afraid to go outside their comfort zone and travel and network and stuff like that and just kind of suck it up and have fun. So you mentioned kind of being in shock the first time you saw the cruiserweight classic artwork or the, the global cruiserweight yeah. tournament. Uh, fast forward a little bit. You are now part of WWE. Yes. What were your initial reactions when you come from the independence? Because this conversation is different from everybody. I have some people on that, that came up in the territory days, you know, some of the, the more legendary stars. Of course. I have, people who came from all sorts of different backgrounds, but I've really not delved in too deeply with anyone with an extensive independent background. You know, we've actually talked about, obviously, you know, a lot of the guys have them, but haven't really broken that down. Yeah. So again, like my whole, my whole like mentality is like, this will go away. This isn't, you know, this isn't going to lead to anything. Like I don't get my hopes up, but at the same time, I'm going to make the most out of every opportunity I have. So I think after the cruiserweight classic happened, they're like, ah, we might be starting up something soon. We'll just, we'll just keep in touch. Okay, great. And uh, I had my independent, you know, schedule as normal. Like I would do combat zone wrestling and Chikara and uh, evolve. They were like the three main ones that I would do all the time, do PWG, just constantly every weekend traveling. And then I'm, I think I'm, I'm working at a, uh, a PWG show. And then I get a text message that says like, Hey, you're needed for raw this week. Okay. Needed for raw this week. Uh, then I get there and like all of a sudden they're having cruiserweight matches on raw. So I don't even have a WWE contract. I know some of the guys got signed straight out of the cruiserweight classic, but I right. wasn't one of them. And like now we're having cruiserweight showcase matches on raw completely unrelated to anything other than like, we're bringing the cruiserweight division in as an attraction. This was like a new but toy. The lights turned purple. Yeah. And like, that was, that was kind of the way I originally had it you know, heard about it was that like the show, the idea was like the atmosphere was supposed to change and then everything was supposed to be like focused on the wrestling. And like one of, one of triple H's visions was like, you know, the ring's going to change just like how the cruiserweight classic was. The ropes will be purple. Um, the canvas will look different. All the lights in the arena will be purple. Um, and then you guys will come out and then you'll do your wrestling match and you'll have time and it'll, it'll just be like focused on the competition. And that was really what it was supposed to be like, just kind of like something different, just something right. different to have. Right. That's where the need for the the PowerPoint presentation Drew Gulak came from, or was that something you kind of developed on your own? I know it's something you did previously in Combat Zone, essentially. At first, they had me come in. They were like, what do you want me to do? And it's like, we don't know. Just be a wrestler. I was like, okay, I'll just be a wrestler. But then I realized like the tone of the show was changing completely, and like they needed to see more character stuff and foils. And that's when I approached um, 
you know, the writing team at 205 Live who were like, they were eager to just start getting things going and try different stuff out. And it took me about six months of talking about this character who was, that I had done in, in Combat Zone Wrestling, who was a political champion of the people, but really just out for his own interests and talking about, you know, the same kind of stuff where it's like, don't fly, don't, you know, don't do hardcore wrestling. That was, that was the CZW version of it. Right, which right. Was, don't use, don't use weapons. And, uh, you know, listen to the referees and, and obey the rules, that kind of stuff. And that six months later, I did a backstage with Mustafa Ali where I was, t- I just pull him aside and I go like, Hey man, have you ever thought about changing who you are and not, not jumping off the rope so many times, maybe it would help you out more. And it just grew from there. Like the team would come up with like these, these gags where I'd have, uh, you know, my picket sign and say no fly zone. And I'd be shoving that in people's faces or I come up with a megaphone, which I never envisioned myself holding a megaphone. Cause that's been done before like Jimmy Hart, popular megaphone guy. So I had to kind of like figure out a way to make it my own and just have fun with it. And that was a big thing. Like that was a huge learning experience at WWE was learning how collaborative everything actually is backstage to even like our relationship. Like we'll talk about ideas, you know, just as far as storytelling in the match. And like, that's helped me like tenfold. Um, and it's really like that throughout the whole company, you know, like there's bureaucracy involved too, which a lot of people do get hung up on, but that's just another, you know, another thing that you have to understand, I feel, and, uh, kind of just navigate those waters. So, you know, letting the, the no fly zone Drew Gulak kind of just grow with that version of 205 live and have fun. It really benefited myself. And I think it benefited, you know, the other wrestlers who I was pitted against, which, which was, I think, number one for me really was just like putting myself in a position where I could help everyone else kind of play off of. Do you have anything uh, that stands out off the top of your head that you're particularly proud of from the 205 live days? I, I was proud of every moment that I got to, to spend in that ring or on screen with people, you know, everything like for real just right off the bat connecting with like uh, Tony Nese and Noam Dar and Ari Davari and Jack Gallagher. And I was kind of just like immediately being a group that would travel together and just kind of be like the backbone of the the promotion at the time. And then, you know, getting a chance to kind of show off that personality and, and, and go into a feud with Ali. Uh, that was so much fun. Like we got to do like a lot of dramatic storytelling through our matches. Like we had a two out of three falls match that kind of pay, played off the end of the capped off the end of that feud. That was really fun, really stood out. And like, there was a moment in that match where like uh, he's down in the ring. He tries to hurricane run on me, but I throw him off and he's laying there and I go down for a second to see like to take over. But then I look around and like, I start to climb the ropes and like the whole arena stands up on their feet. And like, we're used to getting no reactions at all. Cause we're right after SmackDown. Yeah. Yeah. So like, all right, whatever. We're just going to go out there and try our best and just have fun. And uh, you know, people at home are getting into it. Uh, but it was still hard for us to like generate the same energy because we didn't have the people all the time. But like having them hooked for that match and knowing that everyone kind of understood the story of like this whole feud, like really like woke up something in my head where I was like, all right, they're still watching. They know what's going on. Um, so like just that moment where I, I climbed back the ropes, everyone starts freaking out and then I missed <laughs> and then he beat me. Um, so like that, that was like a, a good pinnacle moment there, I think for that character. And um it was a lot of fun. And then after that, like things would ride the waves and uh whole crazy thing. 205 Live, man, has had like a crazy. It's absolutely nuts, man. I mean, <laughs> when you think about it, right? Like all the I started the, the very first week <laughs> and just the, the amount of faces that have rolled through and just the entire presentation of the show has changed. And it's absolutely nuts. But the one thing you can't deny is if you're looking for in-ring wrestling, yeah, you'd be hard pressed to find it better anywhere. I think so. As far as technique and, and, you know, moves, yeah. et cetera. 
yeah, some of the best wrestlers in the world. I still think like, oh my God, everyone is so good there. Everyone is so good in the ring. Like I feel like Akira Sazawa and Jack Gallagher are two of the best in the world, hands down in the company. Not that anyone else is below them. I just personally, I feel like those, sure. those guys are top. So yeah, if you're looking for wrestling, like please. Having said that, and, and you found your sort of milieu in the 205 Live, you semi-recently find out you're being moved to the SmackDown roster. Mm-hmm. Anything change in your mindset when you get that official word? This is still like, okay, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. And like for a while, it was mostly people just coming up at me and, and being like, hey, I heard this is going to happen. I'll go like, people tell me that a lot and nothing happens. So I'm like, thank you. And then, you know, I, I, I saw the official announcement. People were telling me I was going to Raw for the same time too. So like, I, I really had no idea until it was announced online officially. Believe um, half of half of what you see and none of what you hear. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's all hearsay. Um, just don't worry about it. You know, have fun. Show just up and work. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same mentality for me, even being on SmackDown. I just, I understand the opportunities even greater. So like, it's just like, kind of like my cruiserweight classic debut. Okay. Now I got more people who can see what I do. So I got to kind of figure out a way to just let it happen. And uh, it's been working out so far, I think. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you were Thanks. talking about growth on, on your, you know, from your professional perspective. Um, now you take another leap recently and you become involved in a program with Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Now, I touched on it briefly. Michael Cole and I did briefly at the, at the pay-per-view in Philadelphia. Give me a little bit more meat to the story about why what we're seeing on television is so important. And it's not just something dreamed up for wrestling purposes. You know, it's like, especially that day at Elimination Chamber, which was up the street from where I trained and from where like Daniel Bryan cut his teeth at the Murphy Rec Center, which was up the street from the Wells Fargo Center. We are two guys who, you know, we're a few years apart. He came in and he was the top independent star. And he was, he stayed that way until he became the top WWE star. I think he was the top WWE or the top independent star when I broke into business. Exactly. It was the guy. Right. Right. But like, I, I just never crossed paths with him, you know? And like, for me, I was, I just never, you know, I wasn't the Shawn Michaels trained guy who came in and then was immediately booked to win the super eight tournament or, or, you know, all those kind of things. Like I had to grind from the bottom of the card to get to where I was throughout my entire career. So I felt like I had so much to prove that time, that time I got to work with him, us just like skating by in our careers. Like we never touched in the ring. Um, you know, he got to call my matches at the cruiserweight classic, which was kind of cool. Cause like that was him getting a chance to kind of see that style. Just like how I kind of showed you, right? like what I, what I do is different. And like, I think that kind of like, you know, that, that woke up something inside of him um, to be like, man, I want to do more of that. And I think it did for a lot of people. And that's really what I want to do. Um, that's, that's like where my passion is, you know, like I want people to be like, I can do it too. Yeah. What was the response like from, I mean, social media and and people around you regarding that and that night? Uh, Everyone's been very supportive of it. You know, they, they, they see him as, as like the top, he's a top, top superstar. And there's no denying that he's a five-time world champion. So like for me to all of a sudden go from, I'm wrestling Otis for three minutes on SmackDown. And then like, maybe I do a promo with Braun Strowman and get beat up by him for a minute to all of a sudden now I'm toe to toe with Daniel Bryan on elimination chamber in my hometown um, where there's so much history there for wrestling. Uh, That's like, it it is a huge jump. And I think for, you know, again, the people around me, uh, they, they treat it bigger than, than I treat it. And uh, so that, that was like really cool. And um, 
you know, it's been nothing but positive support. And even from the fans, like it's the same kind of relationship, honestly. So like uh, that, that, that is very rewarding in itself. Well, obviously Daniel Bryan, you've credited as one of your influences. Who else would you say influenced you uh, off the top of your head? Obviously we're all influenced by a million and a half different people, but uh, who stands out to you? I mean, you know, like a lot of what I do, it still goes back to my core training, which was Mike Quackenbush, uh, Chris Hero, who's Cassius Hono, and uh, Skyda Jorge Rivera, who's a maestro of like a bunch of he's legendary luchador, luchadors. Correct. Yeah, he is the most technical of the luchadors. Um, and he came and trained us for several months in Philadelphia. He would live in the, outside of Philly and come to the school and train every day. Um, so like getting to study one-on-one with him and then Quack, who's an encyclopedia, uh, you know, and uh, super creative and definitely knows how to push someone outside their comfort zone in a positive way. And uh, Hero, who's also like a treasure trove of knowledge and an amazing wrestler, um, you know, like just being in that environment, like I had no choice but to learn. And like, you can see a lot of that stuff in my foundation. And then later on, I'd say like turning points were like, I got to do clinics with Finley in Germany and like, that stuff just opened my mind to like how to kind of to wrestle in the ring. And then on top of that, like studying like the old world of sport British style and like the old battle arts and uh, UWF styles and um, just seeing how, how to engage an audience in that way, I think really played into like what I like to do and what I like to watch helped me kind of mash it all into my own style. So I was texting with a friend of mine um, during WrestleMania. It was actually the WrestleMania kickoff show the first night, you and Cesaro. And you guys were, were doing your thing. And what a weird environment it is to have the Performance Center as essentially a sterile environment, no fans to feed off of. Now, any of us that have spent time on the Indies realize that sometimes you're lucky to wrestle in front of 15 or 20 people. Yeah. Now you're at this level. What, what was going through your mind? Did you have any nerves before this being part of WrestleMania, but in this environment? I think it was more like I was excited. I, I really didn't have, I didn't have the nerves, the willies or anything like that. Like I was, I was pumped, man. Like I'd never wrestled Cesaro in a singles match and we were training together back in 2004 at the same school. Skydive. That's, that's the name yeah. that I always, also always associate because I remember running to Cesaro on the Indies and, and Skydive. I'd met him a handful of times, but that was, that was the big yeah. buzz in the Northeast <laughs> independence was there was a luchador training in Philly. Yeah. But I was excited to get to do that. I knew what the situation was going into it. Like everyone else, um, crazy, like unprecedented. We're talking about an I'm sitting in my, in my bedroom. We're talking like this. Um, so like, this is not normal. So like, in that sense, it's like, it's uh it's a different kind of an opportunity, but we got to make the best out of it and, um, you know, stay safe and that kind of stuff. And we still got to entertain people. And we're lucky that we get to do that. So lucky that we get to do that. And, uh, to be able to share that with Cesaro, who uh, is, I don't know, the best wrestler in the world. And uh, like that, that immediately was like super, super special. Not only was it my first WrestleMania moment, man, I, mean, I remember being in the stands last year, me and, and Dimalenko were backstage watching uh, Buddy Murphy wrestle Tony Nese. And I was, I was so happy for them, but I was like, man, I'd love to get to do this too. And I got that moment this year and uh, it's in a whole different kind of scenario. And it's with someone who like I've known and loved for forever. It was, it was, it was really cool. I wasn't phased by the fact that there's no audience. I actually enjoy uh, parts of that because you can, re- you have to focus on the details of what's going on in the ring. And that's like right. where I've always kind of thrived. That's like my, that's like my wheelhouse. So like, I'm, I'm more than happy to get in there and kind of be like, let's just do it. Let's go. It is what it is. And I hope that the fans kind of get, get a chance to see that kind of stuff. And I hope that I get, 
you know, continued opportunities to do that. I'm sure you will. Absolutely. I, I was texting with a friend of mine. Anyway, that, that was the story we were telling. I was te- texting yeah. my friend while you and Cesaro were on and you guys were beating the hell out of each other. <laughs> and then later on in the night, Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn went out and beat the hell out of each other. And my friend and I were texting throughout the course of the show. And I said, those, I, I named you guys by name, the four of you as four guys who love wrestling so much, they would do it like this for free all the time. Yep. And I meant that as, <laughs> as the highest compliment, but Thanks. when I think of guys who are just, I, I think we're all obsessed with this business to an extent. I would admit it. You know I mean? I, I dedicated my life to it as much as anybody, but to be of that mindset where you will sit and you will study and in your downtime, you're still in the ring or you're trying to learn or you're trying to improve. I have the utmost respect for that. And seeing you four guys, for some reason, it didn't feel out of place. And I didn't have that weird angst on your behalf watching because I was like, no, these guys, these guys are cool here with this. We absolutely were cool here with this. Um, I I've said it before to people. Like, I think, I think about wrestling like 70% of the day in just one way or another, like whether it's just like, Ooh, this would be a fun idea to try or like, Oh man, that match was really cool. Maybe I should go and study it some more. Like, Oh man, I could, I'd look cool in this outfit or someone else would look cool in this outfit. Like 70% of my day. That's, that's in my head. Um, and I, what you said, like how, like we'd be happy to do it for free. Brian Kendrick, uh, that was something he would always say to us. It's like, that's what, that's what makes, you know, like 205 Live in particular. Like if we had, you know, been released for whatever situation, like we'd be back on the Indies doing it as soon as possible. Right. Um, you know, like there's not a lot of people who can say that about anything that they do. You know, like if they get like a big job or a big opportunity, like the passion is, is deep and it is rooted in and uh, whatever the situation is, like just... Just give it to us, you know. Yeah, well, to, to your point, I had Cena on the on the show a few weeks ago, and he said something similar. Where I asked him about the grind, being John Cena. I mean, it's it's tough enough in any position in WWE, whether you're in catering or you're you know the champion. It, it's a grind. Yeah. John basically corrected me that that's not the right word, not the right way to look at it, because John looks at it as he gets to play dress up and fight with his friends. Yeah. And he says, that's what gets me going is he just does what he wants to do. And it uh, everything followed with it, but that's how he attacks every day. And it was really inspiring to me. Yeah. Hearing, hearing that coming from him, it just reinforces that, that kind of feeling. And it's like, no, stay the course. Like if you still love it, like, why would you stop? I think that's, that's awesome. And I hope more people can like just take that attitude and just kind of roll with it and have fun. We play, play dress up and beat up your friends. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So as long as you've been at this doing the independence, have you ever hit that wall where you kind of said to yourself, I don't know. No, no, never had that. I know I've known so many people who have had that hit that wall and uh, like my heart breaks for them. Cause like they're my friends and my colleagues. Sure. And like, I don't ever want to see anyone, you know, get down on themselves like that. And I've seen it so frequently, man. And at all different stages of, you know, the career for everyone. And, uh, I, I don't know why I haven't hit that. I've just never, I've never, I've never second guessed it ever since I was 14 in that, in that champ soccer arena. It's like, I can do this. I can get better at, it, and uh, I can help other people along the way. So like, yeah, I've never hit that wall, man. Is there anybody in the locker room that you go to on the regular for advice or that, that helps you out nowadays? Let me think that's tough. Cause I don't, I don't try to like pry too hard. Like I'll, I'll be pretty open with pretty much everyone in the locker room about you know, situations and like asking for opinions all, all the way up and down the, the locker room. Um, but like Brian in particular has been a huge help lately. Um, just, just getting to chat with him and getting to know him. 
because like I said, like only until recently that we've gotten to really know each other. We, we were acquaintances before. Sure. And respectful, respectful colleagues. But like now we're actually like kind of building a friendship. So that's kind of nice. So getting to pick his brain has been awesome. You know, Cesaro, I'll, just because of our background and history, if I ever mm-hmm. really need to like be like, what should I do in this situation? I would go right to him. Uh, same with Cassius Ono. I would still go back to Mike Quackenbush and ask him, you know, uh, what, what his opinions are if I need him. Any chance I've ever had to interact with John Cena, uh, I've, I've, he's been more than, he is the most generous guy in the world with his time. And he really does love this. Like he would sit and watch 205 Live every night after mm-hmm. SmackDown just because he wanted to. Right. He'd be, he'd be giving out advice all the time. And it's like, oh, why didn't I think of that? It seems so profound the way he breaks it down. And it seems yes. simple. You're just like, oh, oh, yeah, to your point, why, why didn't I think of that? Because it just yeah. makes sense, but <laughs> until he verbalizes it, it just seems like a mystery. Yeah, he's, he, it's almost like, uh, you know, like the rule of 80-20, or like 20% of what you, your output becomes like 80% of your total input, like that, that kind of thing. Have you ever heard that? No, that explain phrase? this to me. So like from a business standpoint, right? If I have like, a, a, I don't know, a pizza shop and like 20% of my customers are like college kids, but they're coming in and spending all of their money, whereas like the other 80% are just kind of like hanging out and coming yeah, in casually. Okay, okay. You should focus on that 20% oh, to maximize, right to maximize your okay, input. Okay. So like John really is good at, at focusing on like, what's the core of what we do and like, how can we get people to kind of like understand that the most? So it, it's it, like, like it is breaking it down and simplifying it. And then it's expanding it. He's very good at that. And it's, it, it just, it just happens to be, you know, business-like in perspective when you kind of break it down that way. Yeah. Just, just having him around and getting to talk to him and learn from him. Like that's experience. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't put a price on that. That's just amazing. If you've never been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival, you don't know what you're missing. There's so much to see and do. It's like a 16th century theme park with shops and pubs, food and games, live jousting, crafts and music, 10 stages with nonstop entertainment, fun for the whole family. Saturdays, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th. Near Annapolis, the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Time travel to fun. What does Drew Gulak do with the other 30% of his day? Uh, I spend it with family. I play guitar. I play video games. You know, that's, that's about it. I train just for fun. Just kind of enjoy life. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I, I would try to indulge you with a video game conversation, but when it comes to that, I am basically a caveman. So what does that mean? I am the antithesis of up, up, down, down, and uh, Xavier Woods. So you're just down, 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 down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Lots of downs. I think actually when that code was relevant was the last time I was good at video games. Do you play anything? your kids play anything? My, my son has a, a PlayStation 4. Yeah. And he has many games. And I played Borderlands with him. Borderlands 2. Whoa. So that's a hard one. That's yeah, a hard one for like someone who's not familiar with it. Yeah, I, I basically sat in the back of this little go uh, kart and shot people, and he yes, drove the turret. You had the turret. Yeah, yeah, okay, I did. Cool. It, it was a great time. It was a real good bonding experience. I feel uh, yeah. we play online, so and so we got to spend some time together doing that. That's the only reason I own a PlayStation is yeah. because I, I bought one for him. Um, but yeah, I don't know much about about the video games <laughs> or guitar. I, I talked to Edge last week and I told him that during all this downtime, I was considering buying a guitar and teaching myself to play. And that that idea and motivation lasted all of about 45 minutes. If you so if you picked it up and started like realizing that like you could get a few things down, would you get more into it? Probably. 
Yeah, most yeah. likely. I, I, yeah, I, I think if I knew, like, I played a little bit in the past because my old roommate was in a band and okay. I couldn't not be around it. And I learned a few basic things, but it's been many, many moons since I picked anything up. And I uh, feel like I've got enough going on that I, I don't need that right now. I think I'm going to learn. Okay. I'm going to brush up on my Spanish, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like every day I have a new goal for, for this downtime. And uh, I've, I've accomplished quite a few of them, like the, the minutiae, cleaning my house and hanging some pictures on my walls and things like that. Yeah. Stuff that we've been putting off for a long time. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Nothing necessarily productive. Yeah, the pictures look great, by the way. Well, thank you. Really I appreciate cool. that. Yeah. That's I, I felt <laughs> I shot this last week, and I was like, "Man, that wall looks bare." All I had was Lemmy hanging out by himself. Yeah, I got my grit, my Grinch stuffed animal toy here. That's about. Yeah, I was thinking about putting him here, but yeah. hey, you know, it, it could be festive. <laughs> what is, what else is left on uh, Drew Gulak's? Let me rephrase that. Who else is left on Drew Gulak's list now that you are a SmackDown superstar? Everyone. Everyone. You can't say that. You got to give me some specifics. Who are you a fan of? Who do you want to? Who you want to mix it up with that you haven't? I want to fight everyone. Like that's the thing. Like I want another match against Shinsuke Nakamura. I want. I want to beat up Sami Zayn. I want to do all that. I want to wrestle Roman Reigns. I want to wrestle Baron Corbin. I want to wrestle Elias. I want to. And then I want to play music with Elias. Everyone on the roster, man. That's that's the truth. I pride myself on testing myself, and uh, I just I can't help it. I gotta and I gotta wrestle Brian again at some point. I have to. I have to. He didn't tap me out. I think we all fully support that. Let me ask you this. What, what do you credit in your own mind you getting to the point you're at now? Because in the, the especially in the internet wrestling community, a lot of people that listen to this, uh, there's a lot of criticisms thrown in, at WWE regarding uh, how people are used once they're called up, even though we don't say that anymore. But yeah. let's say that, that and historically speaking, there have been a lot of big time players from NXT that haven't fared well on Raw or SmackDown. Or here you are initially from the, the 205 Live brand, from the Cruiserweight brand, and now you're part of SmackDown. And there's been a lot of ups and downs. What keeps you going? I think, um, you know, I, I try to be versatile with what, what I can bring to the table. Um, just like we talked about how when 205 Live was originally one show and then it became another, I had to completely pivot and focus on a different part of like this the sports entertainment aspect of things. Um, and I'm, I'm comfortable doing that and I have fun doing that. Um, so that's, I mean, that's benefited me as far as like sticking around and kind of like letting those opportunities come around and making the most out of them for sure. Um, but I think that's another thing too, is that like, if you're, if you're stuck and you're doing the same thing over and over again and it's not working, like you gotta do something to switch it up. And that's in everything in life, man, everything. And even if it's like, you know that like just the right opportunity hasn't come around yet, then are you just going to wait forever for that opportunity to come around? Or are you going to occupy your time with something else in the meantime, until that opportunity comes around, you can just jump back into it. You know, like there's different, different ways to look at it. But if you're, if you're just sitting in a rut and you're sitting in the back and you're just like, I'm just going to wait, see what happens and nothing's happening. Like that's not on anyone else. They have another, everyone else has their own stuff to worry about. Get in there and like, don't be afraid to fail. I think that's the biggest thing is that I've never been afraid to fail. And I, you know, like, I don't, I don't mind it, you know, whatever people consider failing. I don't consider it failing half the time. I think that's why. I thought for a minute it was happenstance. It turns out it must just be absolute truth. You are the third person in a row to use some sort of knowledge about don't be afraid to fail. Cena, Edge last week. Oh, was cool. Black. So I'm, I'm noticing a theme here. It's not just happenstance. I dig it. Uh, yeah. I'm honored to be in that company. Um, but it's the truth. You can't be afraid to fail, you know, take the risks. And like, I don't know, 
if you're afraid to fail, tell me about it. I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> like I'm happy to, I don't care. What, uh, what's something that the WWE universe does not know about Drew Gulak that you think they would find fascinating? Oh, come on. All right. Putting pressure on me. They would find fascinating. Or you just want people to know. I mean, you can, oh, you can be braggadocious. It's okay. I actually, all right. So I was thinking about the interview cause you know, uh, our boy Dan likes to prep us for these interviews. So I was, I was trying to think like, okay, what's he going to ask me about that? I could probably just on a whim. And he's like, what's something that people don't know about you? Like I actually thought it's so one of my part-time jobs before WWE happened uh, was that I worked as a circus clown for Jewish kids. Really? <laughs> How does one become a circus clown for Jewish kids? I used to work at a recreation center, Northeast Racquetball Club and, and Rec Center uh, okay. in Philly. And um, I was a swim instructor for a long time. I was pretty good at it. I loved it. Met lots of people from the community. And Northeast Philly actually has a strong uh, Hasidic Jewish community. And one of the other instructors... Um, who worked at this place, got to know me and saw that I was really good at teaching kids. I would teach them sports too. Like it was one of the, one of the, the camps that they had there. And uh, she was like, Hey, um, I need someone to help me. I work as a clown <laughs> and we go on tape. I was like, okay. Uh, what does that mean? She's like, oh, I'll just teach you. It'll be easy. You'll get it. Fine. So <laughs> I'd have to put on like the rainbow wig and like, I would, I would just go all out with it. I'd try to get as crazy as I could. And uh <laughs> crazy colorful shirts and like pink socks pulled all the way up. Just like, uh, yep. The whole deal, the whole nines. And we would go to like uh, a synagogue or like a, a Jewish Hebrew school that's in the area. And there'd just be like a group of kids and we'd just entertain them for a little bit, but then it'd be stuff where we'd participate too. So I was learning how to like do balancing acts with like different objects and, and like put on my chin, like balance it and spin plates and juggle and then just play games. And like, I was, I was learning that kind of stuff too, but then we would teach the kids how to do it too. So that was the part that I like, I thought was fun. It was like, I don't know, like that's stuff that you would never really get to do. Are these skills you've retained at all? Like riding a bike, brother. <laughs> I cannot wait till next year's WrestleMania when Drew Gulak spins plates. Well, you say it to the right person, you know it'll happen. <laughs> and we know which person to say that to. <laughs> Happy to do it for free. There you go. Uh, that, that's As far as pre, <laughs> pre-wrestling side jobs go, that's definitely one of the, the better ones I've heard. Yeah, that was one of them. <laughs> that's very, very interesting. Holy cow. I don't even know where to take it from there. That was, that was a, uh, that was the revelation I was looking for. I don't know how I thought about it, but it just like, I was like, Oh yeah, I did that. That was definitely buried deep within my subconscious. <laughs> the outfit dude, the rainbow wig and like the frilly shirt. It was, it was awesome. Do you have any specific <laughs> memories, uh, regarding your time as a clown? Any good stories or incidents? Anything? No, no incidents. Just like, just that every time I was like, is this my life now? <laughs> is this happening? And I uh, just wow. rolled with it, man. But the, the kids were great, though. It was really cool. Like, they were cool. They were chill. They, they had fun. Well, it was, a, it was a, definitely an interesting path, but it led you to the uh, <laughs> desired destination. So point blank, if you want to be in WWE one day, young wrestlers. <laughs> don't be afraid to spin plates. <laughs> don't, definitely don't be afraid to spin Start plates. Start learning to balance things on your chin immediately. I've had to spin so many things since working for WWE that are not plates. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in life is wrestling. That's right. It's a saying that I've heard a lot lately, (laughs) but I like it's an old cliche. But the more you think about it, there are very few life situations I think that I wouldn't be prepared for now, having spent this many years doing what I'm doing. Uh, It's it's the craziest form of performance art. It's so crazy. And then on top of that, 
just the different personalities. That was one thing that I always used to like when my parents are like, Oh, do you see this being a career? Like, Oh, you're still doing that wrestling thing. Like I get that attitude from them sometimes. And then like, I would, I would always tell stories to them and like to my friends who weren't in the business. And I'd be like, you know, one day I would be working with someone who's an ex convict who has like a crazy rap sheet. And then like the next day I'd be working with like a nuclear physicist and we're all still just doing pro wrestling. And it's like so many different people from so many different walks of life. And this is the same worldwide. You can go to, Japan, you can go to, you know, Europe, you can go to, to anywhere where they do this. And like, you'll find just a crazy cast of characters with all different backgrounds. So like on top of like, yeah, I can wrestle in front of a crowd and maybe talk to a group now confidently or be put on the spot on television and have to recite something like on top of that, it's like, now I know how to kind of like talk to a billionaire. Now I kind of know how to talk to you know, people who work in catering and on, on road, a road crew have to travel all day and, and grind it out that way. Um, I know how to talk to people who are in design, you know, for like construction and set design and like fashion design, all that stuff, man. It's like, it's nuts. It's nuts in, in the best way. And the common thread is pro wrestling. Boom. <laughs> who said it never did the world any good? Who, yeah. Who said that? Well, me, that I don't know. I'm sure somebody said that. Nah. Uh, I won't give him any credit. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, anything else that you would like to share with the ATB faithful? Yeah. Keep supporting the podcast and don't be afraid to speak up on behalf of this show and what else you'd like to see in this kind of thing. Cause I think WWE is just kind of getting started in the grounds here, you know, and, uh, different projects that like caught your interest and like caught Corey Graves interest. I think it'll help everybody if we just kind of collaborate a little more in that sense. And, uh, have fun. Cause like, it's just going to keep growing, um, in my opinion. And I think that, uh, the more voices we have in that realm, the, the more, uh, cool stuff you're going to, you're going to get to see in the future. Very cool. Drew, I appreciate your time, man. You can go back to enjoying the uh, <laughs> other 65% of your day. I will do my best. Well, I guess this was kind of wrestling related too. So I, yeah, I, it falls within those parameters. Absolutely. So we'll have to do it again, man. Good luck. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. Unfortunately for all of you, our time here is waning. That's the word I'm going to go with this week. Waning. It is getting smaller. But uh, before I leave you, as always, throw a little zen your way. This came from Epictetus. That's how you say it. I Googled it. Googled the pronunciation because I am a damn professional. He said, just keep in mind, the more we value things outside our control, the less control we have little something for you to digest while you're locked in. Make sure you support your local and small businesses during all of this. Be nice to your neighbor, unless your neighbor's an idiot, then, you know, treat him like crap. That's fine. And make sure you follow us at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Send us all your thoughts. Join the conversation using the hashtag After the Bell. I know I say this every week, but you all haven't listened yet you're using Apple Podcasts, please throw me five stars. It helps. I like this show and I want everyone to hear it. For my Android users, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can follow me at WWE Graves. Thanks one more time to Mr. Drew Gulak for taking out uh, a few moments from his day of stretching people and manipulating body parts to hang out and chat about the independence. It was a good time. We shall do it again. But I'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell.